Welcome to Jump by Design. I'm David Pachter. We're a show about accelerating achievement for leaders looking to excel through the struggle. As we know, learning and growth come outside of the comfort zone and more frequently when you're still in the fight. On today's show, I'm excited to have Dr. Alan Manovitz. He's an attending psychiatrist at New York Presbyterian and Lenox Hill Hospitals. He's also an associate professor at Weill Cornell Medical School. Dr. Manovitz consistently ranks as one of the top doctors in America and is nationally known for his clinical skills in post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, as you might see it more frequently on the evening news. He's been on the emergency teams during the World Trade Center attacks in 1992 and 9-11 and is frequently on the first responder teams uh, aiding and assisting victims of, uh, of trauma. We're going to explore some similarities with, uh, with Dr. Manovitz about professional stress and the trauma it can cause and PTSD. Uh, we also have on the show today Bernard Pachter, a serial entrepreneur who has been my mentor for many years and my father. Bernard founded numerous retail, fashion, and services businesses over a 40-year career. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Bernard, we're focused on grit and resilience today. And for me, you are one of the grittiest guys that I know. Uh, and as I got more experience myself over the course of my career, I gained more and more respect for that. The ability to get up and do it every day and to bounce back from, you know, from things that you didn't expect. Uh, share, with, share with everyone a little bit about how you became an entrepreneur. Well, I was working in the men's clothing field, awaiting to be appointed a police officer. I had taken the test. What year was this? Oh, 1954. Fantastic. And at that time, I took a job in the men's clothing field, and I decided I liked the clothing business enough, because I came from a family of people in the clothing business, that when my time came to be appointed a policeman, I refused it, and I stayed in the clothing industry. How did you get your start as an entrepreneur? What, what gave you the ability to make that jump? I wanted to do that my whole life. And I was starting to become very successful in the men's clothing industry when a, an opportunity came for me to take a little store on an avenue called Flatbush Avenue in Brooklyn. And I borrowed $10,000, of which $2,500 was my own, $2,500 from my family and the balance from friends. And I took a partner who wanted to do anything with me, and he put up $10,000, and we opened a women's clothing store where I had no background except that it was much cheaper to open a women's shop than a men's shop, as men's suits were very expensive. So what fears did you have the first time you went into business? I had none. I only saw the upside and not the downside. So I felt very confident that I could do it. I think that's really interesting because I've attended a number of small business expo shows and they're attended by thousands of people that are really, really popular. I speak to many, many first-time entrepreneurs and frequently I look, look in their eyes and I talk to them and I see and I hear no fear. And based on my experiences, my ups and downs, I am talking to folks who are radically unprepared for the risks they're about to take. Uh, and I imagine many, many of them, a very high percentage based on the stats, are going to fail. Alan, what words of wisdom would you have for those people who are taking that first endeavor and 
have no experience working at it prior and are going to learn everything on the fly and are, are, have taking, are taking these risks with their career and with their family. Well, you know, you're really asking about what creates success. You know, what is, the, what, is the, what is it about entrepreneurs and why do some more successful with the same intelligence? Perseverance and passion for long-term goals is, is a critical aspect of things. There are many aspects to personality traits that come together when you sort of look at successful people. And so it's not just what is commonly known as grit, you know, which is that perseverance and passion for long-term goals. It's that ability to deal with delayed gratification. It's ability to have hardiness to um, deal with all of the obstacles that come about. There's resilience, the ability to fall down and get up. There's ambition and there's the ability to be conscientious. Uh, conscientiousness is really where grit sort of arose out of and is really correlated more with it. That's the personality trait of being careful and vigilant, but it implies a desire to do a task well and take on the obligation of what you're doing, which, you know, as Bernard is sort of saying, he took on the obligation of his partner's money. He, you know, had no fear, which is a openness to experience, which is another trait that, you know, where you have active imagination, attentiveness to kind of your inner feelings, a preference to variety, and an intellectual curiosity about what's going to happen. You're, you're really open, not feeling that the experiences are obstacles, but their abilities to learn. But here's where it all breaks down for me, and I have a lot of empathy for the folks that I speak with, because as a 20-something-year-old uh, wannabe entrepreneur, uh, I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. And when I speak to the folks at the Small Business Expos, I, I'm thinking about how much they don't know and how unprepared they really are. I think about that missing element of self-awareness, that ability to kind of accurately self-reflect where you are so you actually know how much you need to know to be successful. But you're talking about a growth mindset. Yes. Because in a growth mindset, you... you need to be able to grow through the experiences. But there's, you know, there's a balance between this optimism and this belief in yourself and then the ability to learn from experience and to get wiser from experiences. I mean, Bernard can be a consultant to any young entrepreneur about all the things that are going to happen. But many times you have to go through the experiences, fall down and get up. This starts at age one, yep. this ability. When a little child falls down, they're not hurt. They're looking around the world to sort of see what does this mean? They're more surprised. And if their parent sort of gets nervous about it, then, then they may suddenly go and start to cry. If the parent says, oh, that's exciting, we'll do it again. And the child like looks with a curiosity and gets up and falls down and gets up and therefore has no fear of falling. And so that tr the, these traits, some of which are biologically determined, but also experientially evolved, depend a lot on kind of the experiences early on in our life. So that when you get to the spot where you're going to take chances outside, of school and leave, you're then able to... So are you suggesting that because my father was a lifelong entrepreneur and I had the experience of witnessing him have to do new things outside of his comfort zone, it was something that was a more inherently natural thing for me as I... Right. And along with his ability to sort of share his wisdom with you and you could see that he was kind of growing. When I was a kid... Jump by Design is sharing real-life experiences that provide you with ideas and tips on how to accelerate your success and achieve your goals. Like our sponsor, The Jump Crew, we're in constant pursuit of being our best self and driving the best result. 
Jump Crew helps their clients achieve business success with proven marketing and sales execution combined with a passionate team of achievers. If you are recently funded or have a mature business that needs revenue growth, I recommend you speak with them. Jump Crew can transform your business with integrated demand generation and sales support, accelerate your growth, and take the risk out of doing it yourself. When I was a kid, uh, I once uh, saw my father. I was doing my homework till two in the morning, and my father was getting up in the middle of a snowstorm. We were living in Flatbush. You know, your your store was uh, right next to the Astor Theater in Erasmus Hall High School exactly. on Flatbush Avenue, and I was on Beverly Road and Ocean Avenue. And we were moving to Sheepshead Bay to a little house. But my father was one of those people who, you know, could build a house. He could figure out <laughs> how everything works. I just know how to call a super. But it was two in the morning, and it was one of those big snowstorms. And my father had been working on this kind of two-family house where there was a young couple living in the basement. And he got up at two in the morning and he was going out. And I said, Dad, where are you going? He said, well, I was working on the house and I think I forgot to turn on the heater. I said, Dad, where are you going? You can barely drive through the streets. He said, it's my responsibility. And years later, when I was getting up in the middle of the night to go to the emergency room at two in the morning, my girlfriend at the time said, why are you going? When you were a resident, you're always taking care of the attending's patients. Now you're an attending and you're going into the ER. And I was, as I was putting on my white coat, I said, it's my responsibility. And so that's the role modeling sure. that we were talking about. However, there are also entrepreneurs that have been deprived of things. And so they sort of look at, in what we call a reaction formation, this is what I didn't have. This is what's feeding my hunger. And so, again, you can approach success with multiple traits. One of the firm beliefs that I have is that one of the most wonderful things about how the economy has evolved and the collaboration economy has changed opportunities for people is that you don't have to be the entrepreneur to benefit from thinking like the entrepreneur. When my father started as an entrepreneur, it was a very different definition of entrepreneur. Absolutely. It was small business. Myself, I was the leading force. I had a partner who was very reluctant but believed in me, a fellow by the name of Gene Alpern. He had $10,000 and I had to borrow it. But he was taking his last $10,000 and willing to go with whatever I wanted to do because I was confident. Confident and willing to, to take ownership of your oh, own yes. risks. And take take the risk. I mean, I had never been in women's clothing. Get outside of your comfort zone, learn something new, and lead a team of people, which to me are all those elements that people in the growth economy working in collaborative environments need those same skills today. I agree with you very much. When you think about collaboration, what did you learn about the best ways to work and communicate with your partners over the course of your career? My next business is where I had a working partner who was my equal, and we argued a lot, and we fought a lot, but we always respected each other, and when one would tell the other and somehow prove the point of view, then we'd agree and we'd work toward the common goal together, and that worked out very well with my next partner, who was a fellow by the name of Sam Harvey. So when you were deep into making your entrepreneurial endeavors work, how did you balance work and family and personal life? I had the ability, when I was a retailer, it was difficult because there were three or four nights a week we were open. But once I left that, I made sure 
that there were certain family nights that we spent together, usually Friday night and Monday night. And Wednesday night, my wife and I used to go out, and Saturday night. So, and Saturday on the weekends, I used to take my little son by the name of David, and we'd go to places like Central Park, and we'd do things together. What were the most stressful parts about it? I didn't find it stressful. I found it enjoyable. Alan, many people struggle with this this stressful balance, particularly in today's economy where everyone is connected 24-7 and you have expectations of a reply, of an instant reply. What can people do to set their boundaries in such a way that they can continue to maximize their, their achievements to accelerate their ability to get stuff done, but live in a, in a zone that's comfortable and not anxious? That would be the billion-dollar company sure. that you could build <laughs> if you can answer that. A <laughs> um, couple of thoughts here, as you're saying. You know, a business partner is like a marriage, and a marriage is built on four pillars. Uh, trust, respect, kindness, and a common vision for what you're going about. And you need to do that in a consistent, reliable way. You also need to do that with your partner in life. You know, you need to have trust, respect, kindness, and a common vision of what's going on. To some degree, when we're younger, you know, just like in school, you stay up at night, you're working really hard. When you join a, a law firm or you're a trying to become a doctor, you're on call at night. Uh, when you're starting a business or you're starting a restaurant or you're starting a laundromat, you're working all the time. Balance and moderation is always the goal, but how you get wise enough to understand what moderation and balance is in your life is, is part of getting wiser while you're getting wiser about your experiences at work. Grandma's advice, get fresh air, early bird gets the worm, get up and eat three meals a day and drink eight glasses of water and don't over drink in alcohol and don't try to burn the can the two ends, and all of these sort of statements are little pithy statements of wisdom that a lot of us get old too soon and too late smart. Sure. So a lot of what you need to do to live a balanced life was what you needed to learn in grammar school and in high school, right? So at every age, you have to get up in the morning and brush your teeth and bring your schoolwork and try to get your schoolwork done on time. And so many of us who, your, your listeners and myself and Bernard, don't necessarily always follow the, those guidelines, and you have to learn through the hard knocks to do it. But there's nothing wrong with sort of trying to incorporate balanced ways of taking care of yourself as you begin to work in business, so you exercise and take care of yourself as you meet a partner and share those goals together to sort of say, okay, how do I, you know, when I need to work hard, work hard, and when I need to relax or play hard, I have the time for that. So we have a lot of listeners who are extraordinarily driven, and they're very focused on being the best that they can be and accelerating their achievements throughout their lives, not just their professional life, their personal life, and, and living life to the fullest. But, you know, the problem is is that, you know, we are in a different time period. I think, again, when you were becoming a, uh, an entrepreneur, you know, the man was uh, went to work. The women weren't necessarily even in the workforce on any um, high-powered level at that point. They were evolving in their own uh, definition of being equal individuals. And so the woman was there to be the COO of the family, and you were the COO of earning, and you kind of worked that out. Nowadays, we live in a society that really treasures and measures how you can enjoy your life while you're working at your life. It's not the reward at the end of your life. Sure, but everyone out there is the CEO of their own story of their own career, right? And ideally, you know, they're trying to find that maximum balance of pleasure and enjoyment and professional satisfaction. But weren't you driven when you were starting up your company at first? Yes, and I still am today. Okay. And, and it's uh, ironic 
because I work hard right. uh, in learning and development teams to find where that peak performance lie with everyone, right? And with some people, uh, it's at a different place. And, you know, when you stereotypically talk about the millennial generation, uh, you find that uh, certainly there are peak performers and high achievers, uh, folks who are doing extraordinary stuff, but there's, a, you know, there's also the stereotype of, hey, it, it's more about, like you're saying, this work-life balance. And it's actually, uh, for a bunch of the companies that I work with, they've adjusted their philosophy around culture. They, they're very focused now, not on getting the most out of a person over the course of a 24-hour workday, but keeping them as focused as they can be for those eight hours that they're actually focused on work. Sure. Yes and no. I mean, there were always companies like IBM, Xerox, which doesn't even exist anymore, that basically you became an employee for life and you expected to be taken care of in a paternalistic way and, you know, get your gold watch at the end of the day. Nowadays, as you said, not only are people CEOs of their own life, they're CEOs of their own career and people are jumping from places to places. When Bernard was was uh, starting up, there were no uh, paternity leaves. There were not even maternity leaves. So now people come in and they talk about what's the quality of my life going to be in your company, but we're still driven mm -hmm. by the profit m motivation. So there's really two huge forces coming together here that, you know, in good times when a company is very successful, they're able to do this, but when companies are really trying to survive, they're not. What you are saying that's very important is that when employees are happy and they're content and they feel good and their quality of life is considered part of their pay, they're more and, productive. And th they can be more productive productive, more loyal to the company, happier, and happier. Thanks for listening in. I hope you enjoyed the episode and tune in next time for more Jump by Design. We love feedback at Jump by Design. Come to the website, jumpbydesign.com, or get me on Twitter at David Pachter. Thanks for tuning in.